right. Hey, as if you already didn't know, it's opening weekend at Bush Stadium, and I know you Cardinal fans are really excited about that, and believe it or not, me too. It's the only game in town. So uh, take me out to the ball game, especially if the Cards are playing the Cubs. Take me out to the crowd, even if that crowd is only allowed at 32% capacity. But oh, there's nothing like being there in person. It's a great experience taking in all the sights and the sounds of the game. And one of those sounds is the walk-up song. Are you familiar with it? As the batter makes his way from the on-deck circle to home plate, the walk-up song reverberates throughout the ballpark. And it's cool because the player selects their own song. And so not only do the fans get some insight into that player's musical taste, the player kind of gets pumped up for a home run performance. Wouldn't that be great if they did that for pastors when they came up to preach? I wonder how that would go. Hey, here's an idea. Let's find out. Indulge me. I'm going to sit down over there, and uh, someone in, on a tech team in the back is going to hit play, and, you know, if you're willing, you can kind of clap along too. I'm just saying, okay, let's, let's do this. Let's do this. Here we go. Thank you. You know what? You kind of made like a preacher's dream come true there. So thank you. That was really cool for me, but I do have a point here. And it's always good to have a point. Um, and the point is Luke chapter 24. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. 
Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he was going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while they talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Who broke the bread? The who. That's who. And that's the last of our bands for our mixtape series. And the who fits the resurrection encounter from Luke 24. At first, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus didn't recognize who Jesus was on that Easter afternoon. But we know the who. We declare it loud and proud. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Amen. We shout it and we should. But when it comes to the resurrection accounts, the gospel writers seem to whisper it. The most important part of the story that they have to tell, they seem to tell it quietly. Jesus was dead. But he's not dead anymore. It's interesting the way the good news of the resurrection is proclaimed. They don't blare it from a loudspeaker. There's no announcer yelling, go crazy, folks, go crazy. There's no explosion of fireworks, no fanfare, no standing ovation. In fact, not a single soul was around to see it happen. When Mary Magdalene first arrived on the scene, she thought that Jesus must be the gardener. When Peter and the others first heard the good news, they dismissed it as foolishness until, that is, they saw him for themselves. But Thomas still wasn't convinced until Jesus let him touch his wounds with his own hands. Later on, when they went fishing, they saw him as a stranger standing on the beach. The way the gospel writers tell it is that Jesus didn't come back with a blaze of glory, but more like a secret, like a stranger, like a whisper. Christ is risen. The Sunday after Easter is like that. It's not like last Sunday. You needed reservations last Sunday. The room was full. Resurrection Day is the day when we pull out all the stops. It's a celebration, and it should be. I think it's wonderful that even in our mad and modern world that there are people who still come out and still believe or still want to believe that this miracle of all miracles took place. We sing it, we shout it, and it's very, very good. But the Sunday after Easter is just as precious. 
Granted, in comparison, it is less. No reservations needed today. Uh, compared to Easter, it's subdued, more low-key. And this too is good. I think it's very good because I think this version is a little bit closer to how the resurrection actually took place as the Gospels describe it. Certainly the way Luke describes it in his account of the two friends of Jesus on their walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus. It's a quiet Sunday. Their heads are down as they shuffle along. You know what it's like to come home from a funeral. Lots of thoughts and feelings rolling around in the head and the heart. And it helps to talk it out with a friend. Luke tells us that his name was Cleopas, and we don't know who the other is. I like to think that it's the guy's wife. And they're just kind of talking about it, as husbands and wives do. The text says that they're having a discussion about all that took place, trying to figure it out. Jesus had been crucified, and their dreams shattered. They, like the rest of Jesus' followers, fully expected that he would become their king and that Israel would once again be prosperous and free. They thought he was the Messiah. But on Friday, he hung on a cross, cold, lifeless. That was Friday, and now it's Sunday, which for the Jews is like our Monday. Time to get back to work. The ball game's over. And so the dejected pair begin their walk home and they have their questions. They're not who questions, but why questions. Why did everyone turn against him? Why did he let the religious leaders and Pontius Pilate push him around? Why didn't he work some miracle? Why didn't he prove himself? Why would someone steal a dead body? We understand, because we also know about heartbreak. We have our questions too. You're the teenager whose dad won't call, and you wanna know why. You're the single mom, and money is tight right now, and. The washing machine just busted, and you seriously question how much more you can take. Or you're in the midst of a medical situation that is making your head and your stomach spin. You are the parent who's losing sleep, or you're the one who's been hoping for the big promotion and still waiting. Or you have the marriage, or the business, or the family that's fallen apart, and it leaves you with questions. Why, God? Why don't you fix this? Where are you? How could you possibly work the good in this? Heartache questions. The Emmaus-bound pair know what you mean. Listen, the Who has a very quiet walk-up song. It's like a whisper. The sun is starting to set, and Jesus himself, risen from the dead and alive again, joined them on their way, only they didn't know it was him because 
as Luke tells us, their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Frederick Buechner writes, I think those eyes are almost the most haunting part of the whole haunting story because they remind me so much of my own eyes. And I suspect they may remind you also of yours. How extraordinary to have eyes like that. Eyes that look out at this world that we live in, but more often than not, see everything except that which matters most. And what matters most, believe it or not, is that miracle of all miracles. It all comes down to the who and his resurrection from the dead. As Paul puts it, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is useless because you're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we're to be pitied more than all people. If Jesus is dead, then who cares? This life is all that we have? When it's over, it's over? If Jesus don't get out of that tomb, then we have nothing to look forward to. It means that when we die, we're dead. Furthermore, it means we have no one who walks with us in this life either. And that's what the two disciples were feeling. They thought Jesus was dead and gone. They didn't recognize him because he was the last one that they were expecting to see. They had hoped Jesus would free Israel. They had hoped he would make things all right. They had hoped that the Romans would be kicked out. But God didn't do what they thought he was supposed to do. They had their expectations of Jesus. They expected him to come and make their country great again. They expected him not to die, but that's not what he did. And aren't we glad? Aren't we glad that their prayers went unanswered? Aren't we glad that God didn't adjust his plan to meet the expectation of these two disciples? Now, they're not bad people, no. They're not bad for wanting these things, no. Their hopes and their hurts and their questions are very, very real. Their prayers are real. It's just that they had wrong expectations. And I suppose that's my point, that God knows more than they did and that God knows more than we do. God is always up to something. And it's something good. See, he was battling something way bigger than the Romans. His mission wasn't to liberate Israel, but to free all people for all time from sin and death and the power of the devil. The two on the road to Emmaus just didn't know that because they couldn't see it just yet. Well, what about us? We walk a similar road. 
we have our expectations, we have our why God questions too. And from our perspective, it would make so much more sense for God to answer our prayer request in a big way and in a loud way, hit a home run for us. We pray and we strike out, a swing and a miss, silence. That's what it sounds like. That's what it feels like. And he knows. He sees. And he comes to his friends. And he says to the Thomas and every one of us, Blessed are those who have not yet seen, yet have believed. You see, God is always working for your good even in the toughest of times. But admittedly, it is so very hard to see. I recall a story out of one of Tim Keller's books that was a, an old fairy tale about a, a wicked witch who lived in a remote cottage deep in the forest. And here's the thing, when travelers came through looking for lodging, she offered them a meal and a bed. And it was the most wonderfully comfortable bed any of them had ever felt. But it was a bed that was full of dark magic. And if you were asleep in it, when the sun came up, you would turn to stone. You would become then a figure in the witch's statuary, trapped for the end of all time. Well, the witch forced a young girl to serve her, and though she had no power to resist the witch, the girl had become more and more filled with pity for the victims. One day, a young man came looking for a bed and a meal, and he was taken in. The servant girl could not bear to see him turned into stone, and so she threw sticks and stones and thorns into his bed. And it made the bed horribly uncomfortable. Every time he, he turned, he felt a new painful object under him. And even though he threw each one out, there was always a new one to dig into his flesh. And he, he slept fitfully that night. And he finally got out of bed feeling weary and worn long before dawn. As he walked out the front door, the servant girl met him. And he berated her cruelly. You stupid girl. How could you give a traveler such a terrible bed full of sticks and stones and thorns that he yelled at her and went on his way? Ah, she said under her breath, the misery you know now is nothing like the infinitely greater misery a comfortable sleep would have brought upon you. Those were my sticks and stones and thorns of love. You see, friends, God will use anything to save you. He wore the thorns. He used the ultimate stick of the cross and the ultimate stone of a tomb to show you how far he would go just to have you. He went through a whole lot of trouble, that's putting it mildly, and a whole lot of heartache just to prove to you how much he loves you. 
Why would he leave you now? He hasn't. He walked up to them very quietly. What are you discussing together as you walk along? They answered, you don't know. Have you been living under a rock or something? Well, not actually under a rock, but behind a rock. And then Jesus went on to tell them a story. It's a Bible story. A two and a half hour long Bible story. He explained to them what was said in all the scripture concerning himself. Fascinating. Jesus' cure for the broken heart is the story of God. He told them these things so that they could see, so that we might see that he is still in control. That he hasn't left us, not at all. But he comes quietly. This is a quiet walk-up song. Not a firework display, just a splash of water in a baptismal font. Not a whole lot of fanfare, just a, a little broken bread and a cup of wine. Not from a loudspeaker, but quietly he comes through his holy word. And maybe the reason we don't see him is because we don't stop long enough to listen. We have our questions, and that is more than okay. He understands. He gets heartache. Sometimes it's hard to see. Sometimes his song gets drowned out by the noise around us and within us. Sometimes it does feel as if we're walking alone. But we're not. He promised promised that he is with us always. It's like that old footprints in the sand story. I won't repeat it because you already know it, but that's what it is. When we thought we were alone, he was actually carrying us. Footprints in the Sand is a wonderful poem. I like it, but I like this cartoon even better. Panel one. My child, I never left you. Those places where you see one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. And in the second panel, Jesus continues, and that long groove over there is when I had to drag you for a while. <laughs> That's accurate. <laughs> I've had that cartoon on the bulletin board by my desk for many, many years because I think it is so true. It reminds me who I am, that I am his, even when I can't see him, even when I can't hear him. He's got me, and he's got you too. I believe that although the two disciples didn't recognize Jesus on the road to Emmaus, that's not the point. The point is Jesus recognized them. 
and that he saw them as the only two people in the whole world. And again, I'll quote Frederick Buechner. I believe that the reason why the resurrection is more than just a extraordinary event that took place some 2,000 years ago and then was over and done with is that even as I speak these words and you listen to them, that he sees each of us just like that. In this dark world where you and I see so little because of our unrecognizing eyes, he sees in each and every one of us a child, a treasure, a friend, someone, believe it or not, someone worth dying for and rising for. He walks with us. He is the who above all the who's. And above all our why questions, he is the who, who loves you, no matter what, in the good and in the bad, at all times, even in the darkness of death, he sees you, he's carrying you. Listen, Christ is risen. He has risen indeed. Hallelujah.